0: All right, Ephesians 5. Let me get situated here. Get my wardrobe working right. Or at least the microphone, anyway. Ephesians 5, I want to preach to you tonight about how to wake up. How to wake up. I know we didn't coordinate that, just the way it worked out. All right, Ephesians 5. Now, i preach to you. I'll tell you where this sermon was born. I preached to you last Sunday morning about uh, God's Daylight Savings Program. And one of the points was, uh, you know, if you want to redeem the time, one of the points was uh, wake up. Wake up. That's that's a good way to do that. And uh, so while I was writing all that stuff down as the Lord was giving it to me, this came to mind. And so I feel like the Lord gave this to me. So... So I wrote all this down, and so I had, so this is, you know, from last week, but it's still fresh on my mind, so I'll try and preach it to you tonight, all right? Amen. All right. Don't sound so enthusiastic. (laughs) All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us tonight. Lord, it sure is good to be in your house. Lord, thank you, God, for the opportunity to meet with your people. Lord, thank you, God, for folks that will come out and listen to preaching. God, Lord, want to get something from you. And I pray you help them. God, give them, Lord, what they're looking for, what they need. And, God, we thank you, Lord, for a good week this past week. But, Lord, we don't want to rest on our laurels. God, we want to go forward for you and do what we can, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, for everything that's said and done tonight to your glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, just going to look at one verse here tonight, Ephesians 5, verse 14. Ephesians 5, verse 14, it said, Wherefore he saith, Awake, thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. So you've already heard a sermon that told you to wake up. So I'll just reiterate very briefly, wake up, wake up. Now, now it's one thing to be told to wake up. So let me try and tell you how to wake up. And I'm going to use the natural process of getting up just to preach to you a little sermon about how to wake up. But first of all, before I do that, let me by way of introduction, tell you how you can know if somebody's asleep. You can know when somebody's asleep. You ever run into somebody that was asleep? That's kind of a stupid question because I know you have. If you're married, you usually got somebody sleeping right next to you. Unless they're mad and sleeping on the couch, they're sleeping right next to you. Uh, uh, everything got real quiet there. But anyways, they're sleeping right next to you on the, on the uh, wherever it is that you're laying down. I mean, you might be sleeping outside next to the river like some of you hippies at camp. Uh, but anyways... <laughs> <laughs> uh but there they are, they're sleeping right next to you, and you. Of course you run into somebody that sleeps. Uh but you know folks that's asleep, they don't know anything that's going on around them. They they totally unaware of everything that's going around them Man, you could you could stand next to them and tell them, Hey, the house is on fire. They just out of out of sight, out of mind. You can tell them money's raining out of heaven. They sleep, ain't they? Uh, sound like they're sawing logs, sound like they're doing all kinds of stuff. But, you know, if somebody genuinely is asleep, they could be in genuine danger. And they'd be totally unaware of it. Ain't that true? You know, folks that's asleep spiritually, a lot of times, well, not a lot of times, all the time, if they're asleep spiritually, they're in, they're in danger. And, man, the, the horrible thing about it is that they're totally unaware that they're in danger. Uh, what, what you had was somebody here tonight trying to say, hey, wake up because you're in danger. And a lot of folks, are, they're unaware of the danger that, that we're in. That is largely, that is largely the responsibility. That's, that's why God calls men to preach is to tell you, hey, this is the danger. You need, to, you need to wake up and be aware of what the danger is. And so, but somebody that's asleep, boy, they, they're just totally unaware of what's all going around them. You know, folks that are asleep, it's almost like they're in this little world of their own. It's like a dream world. And you know, really what that is when somebody's dreaming, you know, really what that is, is that somebody messing around in their imagination. Ain't that true? Well, you know, a lot of Christians that's asleep, that's, that's how you know that they're asleep because really what they're doing is they're living in this little world and it's called their imagination. You know, in those dreams, you know, I, I'm one of those kind of fellas to where I don't dream a whole lot when I sleep. I guess that's because I'm a hard sleeper. I'm one of those to where you could just, at least before I got married, you could drop a cast iron skillet in, on a concrete floor and I'd sleep through it. Now that I'm married, man, I remember the night that we got married, man, it, I woke up about three different times in the middle of the night. And every time I, th- I woke up, about a week after that, I was like, "Man, this guy needs to go find a different place to sleep, man. I can't deal with this." But, but you know, there's some folks, man, they just sleep through anything. They, they sleep through anything. But you know, folks that don't really dream, you know, you might not know about this a whole lot, but I have had one or two dreams in my life before, and those dreams, really what they are, they're imaginary, are they not they're not real, but boy, they seem surreal. And usually those dreams are all centered around one thing, you. Somebody that's asleep, listen, somebody that's asleep as a Christian, you know what their whole life revolves around? It's the guy in the mirror. It's the lady in the mirror. It's all about you. It's all about you. That's how you can tell somebody's asleep. Another way you can tell somebody's asleep is they make noise. You ever run into any of those? I thought I was going to walk over next door. Some folks stayed and, you know, ate lunch. And I knew that Sunday afternoon was a good time for napping. So I figured I'd walk over there getting ready for church and I'd hear somebody making some noise while they're sleeping. Uh, Much to my dismay, I didn't hear any noise. I thought maybe some folks was dead over there. Uh, But anyways, folks make noise. And it's not always snoring. Have you ever run into somebody that, that talks in their sleep? I'm one of those. Uh, Boy, man, it it makes me nervous. My mother, I got it from my mother's side of the family, my mother talks in her sleep. And I don't mean just like, like I myself, when I sleep, I'm told that I mumble things like, you know, just kind of, but my mother just about out and out have a conversation with you. It's pretty. It's pretty nerve-wracking. You know, a lot of people when they're asleep, when you can tell that somebody's asleep spiritually because you you see words coming out of their mouth, but they you can't really understand what they're saying. They try to talk about spiritual things, and boy, that don't make a whole lot of sense. Boy, that that don't that don't really resonate. They almost sound like one of our presidents that we've had or might have right now. I'm not going to say which one it is, but, you know, you hear things being said, but there's not a whole lot that really makes sense when it's coming out. Uh, Christians is like that. When they're asleep, it just kind of, you know, running their mouth. And, you know, when folks is asleep, who are they talking to anyway? You ever thought about that? There's only one person that they can be talking to. They're talking to themselves. I mean... Uh, if you're asleep, I mean, I take it. I don't really know. I don't know what's going on in that little cranium of yours while you sleep. And all I know is sometimes what's going on in mine. But, you know, if, you, if you're talking in your sleep, if you're talking in your sleep, I assume maybe you're talking to somebody in your dreams. Well, really what you're doing is you're talking to yourself. Well, you know, there was a, there was a man in the Bible who was talking during his sleep. Did you know that? He's called a Pharisee. The Bible said he went up to the temple one day to pray and he stood off in a corner by himself and the Bible said he prayed thus with himself. You say, what was going on? He was asleep. He was talking, but nobody was listening except him. You say, how do you know nobody was listening? Do you know what he said? You don't, say, you don't know a whole lot about what he said. He said, hey, I, Lord, I thank you that I don't do this, and I thank you that I don't do this, but there's not a whole lot of substance there. And here's this poor publican, and he stands off in a corner, and he actually gets his prayer through, and he gets his prayer through by saying something along this line. God, I'm an unworthy sinner. Lord, have mercy on me. Yeah. I, that's, a, that's a very general paraphrase, but that's basically what he said, is it not? Well, some folks, you hear, them, you hear them talk, you hear them run their mouth. The Lord sees their mouth moving, but they're kind of just talking to themselves. Yeah. You ever felt like that? You ever felt like when you got down and prayed? That's not an enjoyable place to be. Boy, you ever felt like you, when you got down to pray? A lot of times, man, it just feels like nobody's on the other end of the phone. Yes, sir. You know what causes that? Oh, listen. I'm not trying to preach a cute sermon tonight, but let me get a little more serious than the context of the sermon. This is trying to use an analogy to get a truth home to you. You know what a lot of times I believe causes that lonely feeling, that that sense of loneliness while you're praying. You know what I believe causes that a lot of time? It's mindless praying. It's knowing that you have the responsibility to pray, knowing that you're supposed to do it, but It's just being done kind of out of a routine. I know that this is what I'm supposed to do, but my heart's not really in it. My mind is not here. Hey, have you ever, you've been in church service right here in People's Baptist Church when folks come here, but they're not. It's a mindless presence. People, their bodies are here, but their, their mind's on work tomorrow. Their mind is, you know, worried about what mama said to them this past week and, you know, almost cussed them out. Or, they're worried about all kinds of stuff. That, that's what the kind of stuff that folks is worried about. And what it does is it creates a sense of distance in the church. Uh, you you can come and you can feel it, man. People are singing, the words are coming out of their mouth, and they're trying to carry it, a tune in a bucket. And it halfway sounds good, but you can tell their heart's not in it. Well, a lot of listen, a lot of folks, man, they get out on their knees and they begin to pray, but their heart's not in it. They're there, but they're not there. It's mindless praying is really what it is. You say well, what's going on? A lot of times that's because they're asleep. They're sleep. They're, they're sleep talking. They're, they're talking in their sleep. You know how else you can tell if somebody's asleep? Turn the lights on. Turn the lights on and call their name. Uh, Brother Curtis talks about folks that are like this, and boy, I have to admit, I'm exactly one of these kind. I do not like to be woke up. I am one of those individuals that, when I wake up in the morning, leave me alone. It's not because, it is not because I don't enjoy the mornings. I just enjoy quiet mornings. That verse in the book of Proverbs that talks about he that riseth early in the morning and blesses his friend, it's going to be counted a curse to him. I take that verse to heart. I believe that. Yes, sir. Uh, When you see me in the morning, first thing in the morning, and I ain't even combed my hair, got a shower. If you say God bless you, I'm probably going to bite your head off. Shut up. Maybe not quite that bad, but it's pretty close. It's pretty close. You say, why? I just, man, I like, I like quiet mornings. But, you know, you ever gone into somebody and tried to wake them up in the morning by turning the light on and calling their name? It's usually, unless they know, unless there's a seed already planted in there that, hey, you have to get up, got to go to work, you got to go to a doctor's office, got to go, got to go do some errand. If, if that's not in there, and they're fully, they have the full expectation of being able to rest, you know, sleep in until an ungodly hour in the afternoon. Uh, they get to the place to where when you come in there and turn the light on, you turn the light on. You come in and you turn the light on. And call their name. That's application. When you turn the light on and then call their name. I, I'm not talking about a preacher standing up and calling you out in the service. I'm talking about a preacher standing up and saying what's right and applying it to the people that he's preaching to. And then God says, hey, and calls your name. Yeah. Yeah. Watch the reaction. You know somebody's asleep. When, when that takes place, when that process takes place, when they go like this. You say, What's the matter? They're asleep. That's the same reaction. You walk into a room, there ain't no, well, there is a light switch back here. You walk into a a room and, you know, you got some kids laying in bed. Of course it's not very dark in here, but you got some kids laying in bed and you say, Ezra, time to wake up. He don't usually jump up out of bed going, Woohoo! It's usually just like a Baptist. Just like Christians, man. You say, what's going on, folks? Is asleep. That's often what it is. Okay, how do we wake up? How do you wake up? Well, let me give you five simple points. You say, oh, this is going to be a long sermon. I don't think so. I only got three pages of notes. You'll be fine. Uh, But anyways, first point is open your eyes. You ever met anybody that's got fully awake without opening their eyes? I haven't. I ain't never seen anybody wake up without going like this First. The first thing that takes place when you wake up in the morning, something in your body says, okay, it's time to get up. You go. It's almost like magic, man. As soon as you wake up, your eyes open. Well, try to get up out of bed. Try to wake up fully, completely, and get your reasoning, uh, your, your faculties about you as far as your mental powers. Try to get all that together and wake up, but keep your eyes closed. How many of you have to set about six alarms before you can get out of bed? Yeah, I'm one of those two. I have horrible sleep habits, man. I don't know what happened, man. I think maybe I got all this from my mother's side of the family. At least that's who I'm going to blame it on. Because my daddy will sleep about four hours, and he'll hit the floor running. Not me. Give me about ten. If I don't have, listen, if I don't have about eight hours, boy, I'm not going to be able to think straight. I can't hardly think straight with ten. Or, or with whatever but anyways let me get back to this sermon open your eyes just open your eyes you know how you go to sleep and I understand there's some of you that have trouble going to sleep but typically you know how a typical person goes to sleep they close their eyes listen I can tell you this I can tell you this you will never go to sleep if you don't close your eyes I mean, maybe, maybe there's some of you that are strange that have that little disorder called, I think it's called narcolepsy, to where people like just sitting where they are, eyes open, they fall asleep. Did you know that that's a real thing? That's a little scary. Uh, here you are riding with somebody in a vehicle down I-95 going 75 miles an hour, and all of a sudden, <laughs> you better have a good prayer life is all I got to say. Oh, uh, either that or a big stick to wake them up with. <laughs> but anyways, uh, you're never going to go to sleep if you don't shut your eyes. Well, listen, I'll say this as a Christian. It's going to be very hard for you to go to sleep if you don't close your eyes. And you don't want to go to sleep. You don't get no work done when you go to sleep. I ain't seen nobody yet that eats while they sleep. Nobody eats while they sleep. Nobody gets any labor done while they sleep. Well, as a Christian, if you want to eat, if you want to labor, I recommend not going to sleep. Well, how do you not go to sleep, brother? They keep your eyes open. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the God of this world tries to go around and blind people. Tries to get them to shut their eyes. Tries to blind the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel should shine unto them. You know what the devil's chief capacity is? What is chief what his chief aim is to do, it's to get you to see something the way that it is not. It's deception. And what you have to do, listen, what you have to do in order to be deceived is you have to close your eyes. Listen, let me give you something to think about. Would you? This is probably not new to you. Maybe, maybe it's been a while since you heard this. Maybe you've never heard this. Let me give you something to think about. Did you know that when a man is born, God gives that man, he gives every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, when they come into this world, God gives them a measure of light with which to start their pursuit for the truth. Every man. Every man. It doesn't mean he's saved. The Bible says in John chapter 1 that that light is the light that lights every man that comes into the world. A man, I believe a man is born with an awareness, with a consciousness that there is a God somewhere. He has to be talked out of that. He has to be educated out of it. He has to be uh, ridiculed out of it. But every man, when he's born, he's born with a consciousness, there is something bigger than me somewhere. You say, that doesn't make any sense. What foundation do you have for that statement? Why all the different religions? That's what a man will often use as proof that there isn't a God. Well, if there's a God, what's all these different religions about? No, man, that's proof that there is a God. People are trying to find their way to that God. That makes sense to me. I mean, that might be simple country boy logic, but I mean, I'm not very smart, but I can figure that out. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, what the devil's going to try to do is he's going to try to convince people that there's, uh, that things are the way that they really are not. That's, his, that's what his design is. That's what his goal is. And if he can do that, man, what he has to do. I started all that by saying, I start all that by saying, a man comes into this world with a God consciousness. Well, what he has to do in order to be deceived is he has to shut his eyes to the truth. The first the first person that shows up and starts doing contact that starts having contact with Adam and Eve was not the devil. It was God. You realize when you're born into this world, the first one that has contact with you starts doing business with you. I don't believe it's the devil. It's God. God has already, listen, by the time you break through and see the light of day in this world, there's already a seed that's been planted. Hey, there's a God somewhere. There's something going on in this world that it's greater than what I'm dealing with. And in order for you to be deceived, you have to turn away from the light that you already have. That applies to every aspect of your Christian life. The trouble, listen, the trouble is, the trouble with with Christians falling asleep the trouble with christians falling asleep is not it's not often ignorance it's the fact that they know something but they close their eyes to it that's the thing that'll get you hey listen man genesis here's a man named abimelech I, i'm trying to get moving here because I got these other four points, and I know you expect him to get out of here real <laughs> in a hurry. Uh, but I'm just kidding because I don't care nothing about that. But anyhow, uh, here's Abimelech. Here's a man, and he, another man by the name of Abraham shows up, and he's got this good-looking wife. It's always funny to me that Abraham has a wife. I don't know how old they are, but this lady is not even in her 60s or in her 70s. This lady is... Older, I won't say old. Older, and Abraham looks at her and says, "You're a pretty woman. If they know that we're married, they're gonna kill me." Sarah must have been a looker. That's just the, that's the way that it is. Some of y'all, some of y'all got so quiet because you're so pious about that kind of stuff. Uh, but it's right there. And the same thing, the same thing was true with Isaac and Rebecca. He went down there and said, Hey, don't tell them that, you know, we're husband and wife. They'll kill me so that they can have you for your wife. Well, he gets in there. Listen, he gets in there. Abraham gets in there. And Sarah, they all get in there. And sure enough, uh, Abimelech takes a look at Sarah and he says, That's all his servants. They're looking out for the king. They say, Hey, this is a good looking gal. And so he does what a king does, brings her into the house. Hey, hey who is this? Well, this is my sister. That's what, that's what Abraham said. That's what Sarah said about Abraham. Hey, this is my brother. And that night when he takes her into his house, that night when he takes her into to his house, he lay in there and all of a sudden the Lord comes and taps him on the shoulder and he says, that's another man's wife. He said, well, I didn't know that. He said, I did this in the integrity in the integrity of my hands, the innocency of my heart. He said, he said I haven't touched her. I, I, I was just doing this innocently. And the Lord said, I know. I know you didn't know. That's why I withheld you from doing that thing. What got me started on this, I almost lost my train of thought there. What got me started on this was the fact that, you know, what hurts people is not what they don't know. Abimelech was in a situation to where he was getting ready to do something that was wrong, grossly wrong. Hey, if God hadn't withheld him, it would have been adultery, would it not? Okay, whether he knew it or not, it would have been adultery. It would have been a violation of God's character. It would have been wrong. But God, because Abimelech, there was something that Abimelech didn't know. Because there was something that Abimelech didn't understand, God withheld him. It would have been different, I believe, with all my heart if Abimelech would have known, hey, this is another man's wife and he'd have done it anyway. See, the thing that gets you and I is not the fact. It's not the fact that we don't know something. It's the fact that we know it and then we close our eyes to it. A lot of the preaching, what it consists of, is just reminding you things of things that you already know is right or reminding you of things that you know is, it, you already know it's wrong. You say, why? Because it's so easy. It's so easy. I don't believe that. I don't. Yes, sir. So, if you want to wake up, point number one, open your eyes. Number two, get out of bed. You already heard that preach. Get out of bed. Hey, if you don't want to go to sleep, get out of bed. If you don't want to doze off again after the alarm clock's gone off about six times, it's time to get out of bed, you lazy sack. <laughs> Boy, that's so true. I'm preaching to myself about that. Uh, you know, when I want to go to sleep, you know, when I want to go to sleep, you know where I usually go? Two places. First, first priority is bed. Second priority is that big brown uh, lazy boy recliner in there. I kick that out and boy, you can sleep. Boy, last couple of nights I've been staying up till about one or three in the morning and usually I go in there and lay in that recliner and I turn on some preaching and I sleep and by the time I wake up, it's five o'clock in the morning. You say, why do you go there? They're comfortable places. I ain't never seen a fella who wanted to go to sleep. He goes out and says, let me find a log to sleep on. That's not very comfortable. Uh, Let me me see if I can get over here on this uh, wooden floor with no pillow and no sleeping bag and no blanket. I just lay out here on the floor. Maybe some of y'all are able to sleep and fall asleep that way. But that's not usually the first choice, is it? It, Where you want to go, you want to go somewhere comfortable. And when a Christian goes to sleep, you know how they got to sleep? They found a place of comfort. I'm not talking about the Holy Ghost. He's the God of all comfort. There's no doubt about that. The Bible says in the book of John that he is a comforter. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is when you want to go to sleep, you want to be in your comfort zone. How many of you have trouble sleeping somewhere that's not home? I don't. Uh, I can sleep pretty good. Uh, but some folks have trouble. You say, why? Well, they're out of their comfort zone. It's a little bit weird. Get into a hotel. Are these sheets clean? <laughs> Is there bed bugs in here? See a little bug in the corner. Think it's a cockroach. Oh, my soul. It's over. You're not going to get another ounce of, ounce of sleep for the rest of the night. You say, what? Well, you're out of your comfort zone. It's hard to sleep. You know what the church has often become? It's become a comfort zone. And what it is, is it's a lot of times people just picking up the babies in the church and just go to sleep, go to sleep. That's what it is. It's folks just being rocked right to sleep. You say, why? Because nobody says anything that makes anybody uncomfortable. Hey, there's no expectation for anybody to make themselves uncomfortable. You know what? You know what's uncomfortable about you. You know why witnessing is so hard. It's because it's uncomfortable. There's there's something about that man that's just eh. <laughs> and listen. I don't I don't know that that'll ever go away. I will say this: It'll go away in the moment if you just start, man. I know every time I've ever knocked on somebody's door, getting the courage to say yes. Let's go, boy. That's a hmm. You're going to go knock on somebody's door that you don't know, and you're going to talk to them about Jesus? Well, I mean, that's what the disciples did in the book of Acts. They said, hey, we preached publicly, publicly. I mean, they got out on the street corner and told people about Jesus, I mean, raising up their voice, almost like hollering to people. Uh, I mean, they wasn't out there cussing them out, but they was... Read, read what Paul did there in Athens. He got over there right with this, with this little monument set up and it had an inscription on it to the unknown God. And Paul got a little aggravated about it and he said, hey, let me tell you who this is. Let me tell you who this unknown God is. And he preached them a little sermon about Jesus. It wasn't 30 minutes long. It probably didn't take but just maybe two or three minutes, but he preached them a little sermon. But boy, man, getting the courage to do that. You know why? You know why it's so difficult? Man, it takes you out of your comfort zone. Listen, that is why we try to encourage you to be vocal about your Christianity in here. It does, listen to me, it does add something to the service when you sit in here and say amen. It does. But that is not the only reason that we try to get you to do that. We're not going to force you. Listen, if I don't see you saying amen, I'm not going to come to you and say, you didn't say amen last Wednesday. What's wrong with you? That's not what we're going to do. But I will tell you this, you're missing out because what you're missing out on is the courage that's being worked up in your heart to be comfortable with saying it in here. Listen, if you're not comfortable saying something about Jesus in here, you ain't going to be comfortable saying anything about Jesus out there. So if you can get the guts to stand up and say something like, hey, man, I'm just glad I'm saved. Yeah. Well, man, when the Lord tugs on your heart and says, tell them about Jesus, <laughs> what do I say? <laughs> hey, man, I'm just glad I'm saved. <laughs> That's not much of a witness, but it's something. Yeah. Where did it start? Well, it started with you standing up in here and saying, man, I sure am glad God saved my soul. Yeah. Some of you fellas stood up here and preached while I, I'd not been here and uh tried to put you a little something together. You know where a lot of that courage came from, I bet you? Personal testimonies. Just just I, I'm not talking about the material. I'm talking about getting the grit to just be able to do it. It's pretty intimidating, ain't it? Stand up here, man, and grab the, the pulpit until your knuckles turn white. You're about to pass out. I mean you get lightheaded. Well, a lot of that. Tenacity gets worked up in your own heart by standing up in here and saying, hey, I just thank God I'm saved. Man, I'm just glad God saved an old wretch. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right, get out of bed. Get out of your comfort zone is what I'm saying. Then let me say this, get cleaned up. I like to take a bath first thing in the morning. It's not because I get dirty at night. It's just because it helps me wake up. You know what would help you wake up? Getting clean get clean. Just get clean. Uh, you fellas go out there and y'all cut grass. You, Brother Joe, I think there might be some other fellas in here cut grass for a living. I don't, I don't remember. I don't keep track of all that stuff, but I, boy, there's something. Boy, it, coming in from being coated in dirt all day, coated in sawdust all day, and then coming in and taking a shower, boy, there's something that, man, It just, it's almost rejuvenating to you. Man, you feel like a brand new person. I mean, you said about 30 or 40 pounds, all that dirt. You look at the drain in the shower, man. Here goes all this mud. There's something renewing about that thing, ain't it? Well, boy, with, without getting clean, boy, just kind of lull you right to sleep. As a Christian, just kind of lull you right to sleep and just kind of just put you right out. And then let me say this. If you want to get up and get awake, put the right clothes on. feel how tense it just got there. Oh, he's going to preach about modesty. Well, I can if you want me to. I'd be glad to, Uh, but that's not what I'm talking about. Put the right clothes on. Brother Curtis, you ever went to Walmart and seen some of these folks wearing their pajamas at Walmart? I have never understood that. That is weird to me. Now, listen, I'm not going to tell you that you're lost and on your way to hell if you wear your pajamas to Walmart, but I am going to say you're weird. Did you know? Listen, we worked. I worked at a facility. I worked at a place where we held inmates. Did you know that if somebody showed up in their pajamas, do you know that they would not be allowed inside the facility? Hey, we've had. uh, It's a prison. This is work. Hey, did you, know, did you know that we've had ladies come in that facility for interviews? I worked in human resources, and I had to go up and get them and bring, them, escort them back to the office where they were going to have their interview. Do you know that we've had ladies show up in open-toed shoes at a prison? You know what the front entry officers would do? They didn't even have to call anybody. They would call us and tell us after the fact. They'd say, you can't come in here like that. Well, I came here for an interview. You should have had better sense. You were told by the human resources employee, when you had your interview, these are the things you can't wear. It's funny, man. People go for an interview and they think they're going to a nightclub on a date. That's stupid. Did you know, listen, did you know that what you wear at home, my, my wife has got some fuzzy little slippers. Did you know if she went and went down to a construction work site, that would probably not be a wise idea to wear those fuzzy slippers. You say, why? If something fall on your foot. foot, it's going to break it. Uh, get in some oil or get in some liquid, you're going to slip and bust your head wide open. What I'm telling you is that sleeping clothes is not the same as working clothes. Sleeping clothes. Now, some of y'all getting really involved in all this concept, and I ain't even made application spiritually yet, but it's true. It's true. Let me just go ahead and just hang out here for a second. Did you know that you cannot command somebody's respect when you go out in public wearing your pajamas? You say, I don't like that kind of preaching. Okay, you preach whatever you want to preach when you stand up somewhere else. <laughs> uh, uh, all I'm saying, all I'm saying is I have never ran into a fella who is wearing, uh, you know, some kind of sleeping breeches or shorts. I've never run into him and thought, man, that chore sure looks like a respectable guy. Yeah. It's fashionable now. I don't, I don't, I don't get it. You say, what you doing? I'm looking for all those that wear pajamas to public. I'm seeing who's uncomfortable. (laughs) Some fella gets up out of bed, and he puts, you know, sleeping pants on, and he's wearing a T-shirt and his hair. Looks like he ain't combed it in three days. Goes down to Walmart. Hey, have you ever seen pictures from the 1920s? This is, really, this is really just a pet peeve. I'm just preaching a pet peeve right now. Just give me a second. I'll make application. We'll move on to the last point. We'll let you go. You ever seen pictures from the 1920s? Everybody, everybody wore suits and ties. Yeah, yeah not the ladies. <laughs> everybody. I mean, that was the fellas that I was interested in looking at. I, I ain't trying to take no instruction from ladies in the 1920s. <laughs> All these fellas, man, they got suits and ties. And I'm not talking about just two-piece suit. I'm talking about three-piece suit. Nice tie. And a derby. Some kind of top hat. They was dressed to the hilt. You said, nobody in the South did that. No, they wore them seersucker suits. You ever seen them? Blue and white stripes. They did that because it wicked away the moisture. You you hog sweat. Uh, Down in Mississippi, down in Louisiana. That's really what that stuff was for. Everybody wore suits and ties. You say, why? It commanded respect. Does it not? Okay, look with me real quick over in the book of Colossians. Look, up, having laid all of that groundwork, look in Colossians. Let's see what a Christian's supposed to wear and what he's not supposed to wear. Colossians chapter 3 and look in verse 8. Colossians 3 verse 8. But now... Ye also put off all these. You say, What's this, Brother Nathan? This is your pajamas. Pajamas is what's comfortable, ain't it? Okay, so put these off. Here's Here's your pajamas anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. There's a certain way you're supposed to talk. You know why folks talk nasty? They think it's comfortable. Boy, I've, I've heard some of the most filthy communication out of women at the prison. I mean, buddy, I ain't never heard grown men talk the way I've heard some of the ladies talk out at the prison. You say, why? Well, there's something about that that makes them feel like they're comfortable in a man's atmosphere. I mean, you've got 2,000 male inmates and a good portion of the workforce male. Ladies feel like they got to fit in because, I mean, they're correctional officers too, which is stupid, by the way. Hey, ladies... I do not recommend being a CO. That's not a place for a lady. Oh, you're just, you know, a bigot. You're just... You say whatever you want to say. We'll just leave it at that for sake of mixed company. You say whatever you want to say. It's not smart to get around 2,000 men. Have to patrol a facility, a, a, a whole pod of about 400 fellas by yourself. That's stupid. That's dumb. I don't care what you say about me. That's retarded. They gave, they gave Michael Pence a world of trouble when he said, I don't let myself get caught uh, with a woman by myself behind closed doors. He said, I don't let. Boy, they ridiculed him and wrote him. And a little while later, they had all this stuff, with all these ladies coming out saying, well, this fella abused me. This fella abused me. Media took that and ran with it. All these, all these women mistreated. Well, the solution was exactly what Mike Pence, and it didn't start with Mike Pence. My daddy told me that when I was a little boy. Don't ever let yourself get caught behind closed doors with a member of the opposite gender. That's just good advice. Where's your verse for that? Common sense, how you like that? That's not just for your sake, that's for her sake, that's for testimony's sake. It's just good all the way around. Amen, that was extra. That was not in the notes but anyways yes sir yes sir filthy communication out of your mouth lie not one to another that's your pajamas yes sir uh, got him hall around it uh, hey did you do that well i i mean you said what you do? you're trying to find a place that's comfortable well i mean you know you know i i maybe i thought about it or lie not one to another Seeing that you've put off the old man with his deeds. There's your pajamas. Now, now, here's your work clothes as a Christian. And have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him where there's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, bond or free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God. Here they are, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies. What's Mercy. What's mercy? Just think about that for a second. Let me tell you what the opposite of mercy is. Hardness. You ever met somebody that was just hard? Let me put it to you like this. Ruthless. You know what that is? That's your Christian pajamas. You know what causes folks to be ruthless? Because something took place that was maybe an inconvenience to them Or maybe something took place that they didn't like. And they don't know how to respond with any sense of grace. This is an inconvenience to me. And I'm the most important person in my universe. And so I'm going to throw a hissy fit about it. And I'm going to make everybody in my little universe upset until they recognize how important I am. And Paul said the thing that you need to put on is bowels of mercy. Bowels in this day and time has a bad connotation, but bowels just means your insides. It's inside. It's not mercy that's feigned. It's mercy from a disposition. It's mercy because that's what's inside. I got a disposition to be tender towards other people. That's bowels of mercy. Look at what else he says. It's bowels of mercy. Uh, let me find my place here. Oh, it's around here somewhere. Verse 12, bowels of mercies, kindness, kindness. <clears throat> I preach to you that message about the law of kindness, right? You remember that? Kindness is not just being nice. Kindness is, hey, we're of the same kind. <clears throat> I told you during that sermon, I said, this, this fellow right here, hey, you're my kind. Yeah. You know why you're my kind? Because you're a person. So what that means is that there should be a measure of understanding between you and I. If you mess up, listen, if you mess up, if you do something wrong, listen, I try to preach straight as I possibly can. But listen, I tell you, when I go home and I get in my office, I am oftentimes dealing with the same thing that you're dealing with. And I am looking for preachers to rake me over the coals the same way that I feel like I have to rake you over the coals. You say, why? Because we're of the same kind. I'm not saying that for you to uh, feel sorry for me or, or anything like that. I'm trying to get you to understand a principle here. We're of the same kind. There is no such thing as preacher flesh and person, regular laity flesh. There's just flesh. I may not know fully what a woman is tempted with, but I know some things she's tempted with. I know more of what a man is tempted with. I know more of what a 35-year-old man is tempted with because we're of the same kind. You know what that induces me to do? It induces me that when I see my brother messing up, and I'm not insinuating anything, I'm just using you as an example, it induces me that when I see my brother maybe mess up about something, it induces me not to be so hard on him, be truthful, be honest, be straight. But you see that fellow and you say, Man, I know what that's like. Hey, if he needs to be rebuked and you have the authority to do so, God's given you the call, God's given you the responsibility, whatever function you have, rebuke him if that's what's necessary. But I guarantee you, you better not do that without getting in your office somewhere or getting in your bedroom and getting down on your knees and saying, God, Lord, I, I know I fussed at him pretty hard, but God, I really pray you'd help him because I understand you say, well, I've never done what they've done. Don't you know what it's like to be tempted with things that you get convicted over, over, and over, and over, and over? And you get convicted with it so much that you look at it and say, man, I'm tired of confessing this sin. Is it really a sin? That's the way, that's the way human nature works. It's just we, not, not just you. We are that messed up. You know what that induces you to do? It induces you to really be kind. This is my kind right here. You know how long it's been. How old are you? Okay, I forgot. Don't hold that against me. You know how long it's been since I, I was nine? It's been a while. But you know, I was there one time. And I remember. I believe when I was nine years old, we was living in that trailer out here. My dad was a pastor of this church, and I, there was a double wide trailer sitting out. I believe we was living over there. I remember. I remember pretty close, if not when I was nine, I remember pretty close to when I was nine. Did you know that this guy's not perfect? That's hard to believe. I mean, he got his hair combed right, and he's dressed pretty nice, and I, think, I don't think his breast stinks today. It's hard to believe he's not perfect, but he's not. He messes up. And you know, the temptation is because a lot of times he inconveniences me. The temptation is to ride him. And crawl his case. And sometimes I feel like that's what's necessary and I do what I have to do. But you know one thing that I have learned? I am I am not a good parent. I am not a good parent. I'm not saying this to toot my own horn. But one thing I have learned is that that little guy is a person. Yeah. And the same nature, the same sinful nature that I have is the same sinful nature that he has. Yep. That is not an excuse. It is not an excuse. But you know what it induces me to do? It induces me to approach him with a little bit more kindness than maybe I would have had before. Oh, you did that and you shouldn't have done that. And Usually it don't come across that way. Usually it comes across something like this. Why did you do that? You're a moron. I'm trying not to blow your eardrums up, but you get the picture. Ain't that, ain't that the way you usually come across? Not usually. Ain't, have, have you? Don't shake your head yes or no. Just haven't you ever come across that way? Let me, let me just leave it like that. Haven't you ever come across that way? I, maybe not all of you, but I bet many of you have. And then somewhere in the stillness of the night, God will come along and say, you know, you've done those very same things. Or God will show you some things that you've done just like it. And boy, you start to feel a little bit bad. I'm not saying you shouldn't have crawled their case. But I am saying a lot of times when you crawled their case, you did it without an understanding of who you was dealing with. You was dealing with little people that are miniature versions of you. And so you sit there and be ruthless with them. No mercy. No long-suffering. No gentleness. No meekness. And to sit there and write them 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 and and every little thing that they do wrong. You say, well, I've dealt with them about this 1,500 times and they still don't understand. Can I ask you one question? How many times has God dealt with you about one, one particular thing? You may have it conquered now. But how many times has God dealt with you about one particular thing and you struggled with it and struggled with it and struggled with it and struggled with it and every time you said, God, I'm sorry, the Lord said, I forgive you. He didn't say it was okay. I forgive you. And the Lord was even willing to initiate the remending, the, the rebonding. You did something wrong, you broke fellowship. Your kids do something wrong, they're the ones that was wrong, ain't they? They broke the fellowship. You didn't do that. They did it, right? Well, when you break fellowship with God, you know, who, you know who initiates the trying to get right? It's not you. It's the Holy Spirit. It's God. God's the one that seeks you out and says, you know that wasn't right. A lot of parents, their kids will do something. Their kids will do something and they will ride them and then leave them alone. Walk off in another room and never make any attempt to try and get things right. You have your pajamas on. And listen, let me tell you something about that. Listen, let me tell you something about that. Nobody is ever going to look at an individual like that and say, that's a respectable person. Because you got your pajamas on. Well, I know this, and this verse says this, and I got all my Bible memorized, which I'm sure you don't, but just using that as an example. I know all these rules. I got all this straightened out, and you know, my life is in order, which it ain't. Some of your problems sitting in here this evening is that you think you got everything together. And a lot of the trouble is not that you're looking at your own kids and riding them. You're looking at somebody else's kids and riding them. been there looked at somebody else's kids and they racing their kids a certain way racing their kids a certain way i looked at them and said that ain't right that ain't right they shouldn't do that they shouldn't let them get away with that they grow up start getting married still serving god some of the finest young folks you've ever met in your life maybe i didn't know what i was talking about because you get out on your knees and say man just because your kids, listen, just because your kids have got an education. Straight A's. Maybe some B's. I don't know. I think that's basically what I had. But anyways, got them a nice fancy job, and they're accepted with the in crowd. And you think, well, man, they just, you know, my kids are on the top of the world. And then you look over here at this other guy's kids or this other's lady other lady's kids, and, well, they're doing this and they're doing that and they ain't never going to account for anything. Hey, why don't you do something about it then? Yeah. Yeah. Why don't you do something about it? You say, well, if they're not my kids, what can I do? You can pray. And I really believe that. I believe you could pray and I believe God will hear you. Amen. Amen. You got your pajamas on. Let me finish this up. Look at what he says right here. He says, kindness, humbleness of mind. That's your Christian work clothes. Humility. Peter said in 1 Peter 5, be clothed with humility and be subject one to another. I'm a pastor. This is a member of the church. He should be subject to me. Do you know that the Bible says as Christians, as Christians, we should be subject one to another. I don't know that guy anything. Bible says you do. You say, what is that? That's humbleness of mind. That's humbleness of mind. Meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, that's putting up with folks that get on your nerves. Amen. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any. Here's the explanation. Here's the definition. Even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. That's a fine example. Now, here's my last point. You want to wake up? Get moving. Get moving. Brother Stalker. when he was here for his last revival, which has been a couple of years, Lord willing, we're going to try and get him in. I don't know when, but it's not because we're mad at him that we haven't. I haven't had him back. I just... I just haven't felt like the Lord wanted us to have him back yet. So, Lord willing, we'll try and get him in here soon. I like Brother Stalker. But Brother Stalker is one of those kind of guys when he gets up in the morning, he told me. He said, now, Brother, he said, I'm the kind of fellow that likes to get up in the morning and get moving around. He said, because if I don't, he said, I will go back to bed. I said, okay. So I had to change my schedule for the week that he was here and was glad to do it. So we'd go out and eat at McDonald's, get some of that wonderful oatmeal that they used to have, minus the cockroaches. Uh, but anyways, we'd go out and just kind of cruise around town and just try and find something to do in the morning. You say why? Because that's what he needed to get get awake. How you want to wake up as a Christian get moving. Just do something. Yeah. do something. Get out. No, that's not Catholic. I'm talking about praying. That's get moving. You say, what does that do? It helps you get awake. Hey, listen, I know that's all physical stuff. I know that's all physical stuff. Let me tell you something that will really help you to get awake. Get concerned about somebody else. Could you do that? One of the things that makes you go to sleep is close your eyes. Ain't that right? Well, when you open your eyes, not only do you see the truth, you know what else you see? You see things the way that they really are. Some folks is so asleep to the fact that, man, there's folks living right in their own house and their lives are falling apart. Some folks have got their minds, they got their eyes closed to that. Well, man, if you'll get up, wake up, open your eyes, and then start getting moving, what you'll do is you'll start looking at other folks and saying, man, they're in bad shape, man, they're hurting. Get a little concerned about them, man, you might start waking up a little bit more. You ever got to the place to where life just kind of seemed blah? You know how it gets there a lot of times? It's all about you. It's all about me. I just, Man, I just don't feel right. You know, church is just not the same. A lot of that comes from looking at your own performance and am I really measuring up? Am I really doing what I'm supposed to do? Hey, man, why don't you start worrying about the other guy? And I don't mean being nosy. I don't mean being a gossip. I mean genuinely concerned about, hey, what about this brother over here, man? If I'm dealing with this, I bet you he's dealing with, if not the same thing, something close. Amen. That's how you wake up. Are you awake? I put you to sleep, didn't I? Lord, help us tonight, God. Lord, a simple sermon. Lord, I pray that, Lord, maybe something that was said tonight, God, Lord, would be a help. God, be a blessing, Lord. I I pray that you would help us, God, to be uh, woke up Christians. God, I pray you help us, Lord, to be awake And, Lord, to do what we're supposed to do. God, Lord, I thank you, God, Lord, for your goodness to us. Thank you, Lord, for being merciful with us. I pray you'd help us, God, Lord, to reflect that mercy. God, Lord, the same way that you've put up with us. And, Lord, tolerant of us, God, help us to be tolerant of others. Not talking about being tolerant of sin or compromising. But, Lord, folks, a lot of times they realize that they have trouble in the flesh well, Lord, I pray that you'd help us, God, Lord, to realize that we've got the same kind of trouble, maybe not the same exact thing, but we've got trouble just the same. And Lord, the same way we're concerned about it, Lord, help us to be concerned about it in others, Lord, and pray for them, God, the same way we pray for ourselves. Lord, bless, Lord, this week, God, help these folks as they go to their respective workplaces. God, pray you be with them, help them, God, bless them, God, give them fruitful, prosperous weeks. Lord, we'll thank you for it, protect them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. All right, good night. May the Lord bless you. Have a good week.